In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, amen. I want to ask you a question. Just suppose, just suppose that you were in the shoes of this man who was born blind. So this guy has never seen anything in the entirety of all his life. He has never seen a single thing, ever. He has no eyeballs. He was born blind. And the first thing he sees, you know, is Jesus. He's heard stuff. He's heard, he heard the disciples having a conversation with Jesus. Who, met, who sinned? This man, his parents. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. Uh, he's smelled stuff. He's uh, tasted stuff. He's felt stuff. But he's never seen anything. A single thing. He's never, ever seen a single thing. And the first thing he sees is Jesus. What would he say? What would you say? Okay, maybe it's a little bit hard to put ourselves in those, in those shoes because, uh, to my knowledge, just looking out at the congregation, I don't think anyone who's here is born with such a severe visual impairment. Now, suppose, just suppose, you know, you, your normal you and your life, Jesus appears to you right now. What would you say? What thoughts would cross your mind? There's some verses in the Bible that can inspire us a little bit. In the book of Acts, St. Stephen is being stoned. And as he's being stoned, he looks up to heaven. And it says, but being full of the Holy Ghost, he looked up steadfastly to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. What a glorious sight. What a glorious sight. What a glorious thing to see. That he could see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand, at the right hand of God. What a glorious thing. There's other, other people have also mentioned what they would say. If we look at Song of, Song of Songs, we find... Um, in uh, chapter 1, verse 16, we find Solomon writing, and he says, Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. Yes, you are pleasant. He, he looks to God and he says to him, You are handsome. You are pleasant. What words would you use if you saw Jesus? If you saw Jesus, what words would you use to describe him? There's a, a verse in the Psalms that I think uses the most superlatives I've ever seen. The English translation just uses the word excellent. But when you look back at the original word, the original word is like a superlative of a superlative, like the best of the best, like that, right? And it's, it says, Psalm 45 verse 2, you are the most excellent of men and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. In another version, you are the most handsome of all. Gracious stream, gracious words stream from your lips. God himself has blessed you forever. The, the, the original word says you're something along the lines of you are the most awesomely excellent, beautiful, handsome, like it's, it's taking it like to the next level. It's, it's making it so clear that this is, you know, the highest, the highest level of beauty and of handsomeness. 
And this is, and, and these are various ways, various greetings, various greetings uh, that, uh, that we find in scriptures of how people would, would greet the Lord if they saw him. How will you greet the Lord when you see him? Because it's not an eventuality that may or may not occur, but an eventuality which is certain to happen. When you meet him, what will you say? When you see him, what words will you use? If I was going to meet, uh, I don't know, um, uh, John Tory or, or, or uh, maybe, uh, you know, the, the Prime Minister or, or, I don't know, the Secretary General of the UN or, or, or any of these eventualities. Or let me give you something that's true. When I go to meet the Pope, I rehearse what I'm going to say. Because I can't walk in there and tell him three things and then walk out saying, oh darn, I wanted to also tell him this and ask him that. That's not going to work. You know, I get a five minute appointment, you know, and that's what I get, right? So I have a script and I prepared and I know exactly what it is that I want to say. I bring him pictures of all the events and things we've been doing here and I share with him all of the victories and all of the great things that are going on um, so that he can rejoice. I mean, he deals with problems all day long so I try to you know, give him something to rejoice about with us and then I share with him also some of the struggles and challenges and, uh, and so that he can pray for us and I usually print them for him on a little list and I tell him so that I can tell him please pray for us here's a list pray for us right um, and then I'll ask him for advice about something anyways I have a script right when you meet the Lord Jesus Christ not the Pope not the Prime Minister not some really important person when you meet God himself what are you gonna say what are you going to say? And the church is full of praises. I'll tell you something. When you have an authentic experience of God, there are only two reactions that commonly happen. One is repentance, and a second is praise. What will mine be? What will mine be when I meet him on the very, on the, on the very last day of my life, when I close my eyes here on earth, and I open them, over there and I open them and he receives me with wide open arms and says my beloved son in whom I am well pleased welcome welcome I've been waiting for you for so long what how am I going to respond the reality is that sometimes we don't respond to God um, in our experience of him um, like that and the problem the reason is probably because of the troubles in our life Right? Maybe sometimes, oftentimes, we say, where is God? Is He absent? Or, or why do bad things happen to me? These are, very common, these are very common questions. And I'll tell you, anything in the universe that's going through your mind, you will probably find some analog to it. If not word for word, you'll find it in Scripture. Job says in chapter 23, he says, But I search in vain. I seek Him here and I seek Him there but I cannot find him. I seek him in his workshop in the north, but I cannot find him, nor can I find him in the south. There too he hides himself. Sometimes it almost feels like God is playing hide-and-go-seek with us or, 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 or tag or something or, 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 or hard to get. Many prayers in, in Scripture say, How long, O Lord? Maybe the most famous is in Psalm 12 in, in the uh, prayer book or Psalm 13 in, in, the, in the New King James Bible, which says, How long must I hide 
my daily anguish in my heart? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? How long, O Lord? Maybe you're saying, yes, Father John, I don't know what I'm going to say when I see him. But right now I'm praying for this and I'm praying for this and I'm not seeing him. So if you're seeing him and if you see God in your day to day and if you're rejoicing in his presence or he's bringing you to deep repentance, congratulations. I'm happy for you. And if not, if you feel that God is absent, if you feel that God is not there, if you feel that you've been blind from birth or have some other disability and you've prayed and you've asked, and it seems like God is silent, then maybe this part of the sermon is, is addressed to you. Habakkuk takes it one step further. He doesn't only say, God, why are you absent? He says, God, I've prayed and I've asked. And you know what's even more frustrating, God? I see the bad guys winning. I see the bad guys winning. Habakkuk says in chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, O Lord, how long must I call for your help before you listen? I shout to you in vain, but there is no answer. Help! Murder! I cry, but no one comes to save. Must I forever see this sin and sadness all around me? Wherever I look, I see oppression and bribery and men who love to argue and to fight. The law is not enforced and there is no justice given in the courts for the wicked are far outnumber the righteous, and bribes and trickery prevail. Habakkuk is saying, God, the world isn't fair, and it isn't just. And I prayed, and you're not answering. If you think those words are very strong, like as if Habakkuk is taking God to court and telling him, you know, I want to reason with you, right? If you think those words are strong, the words of Job in chapter 7 are probably the words of the most deepest anguish, some of the most deepest anguish we'll see in Scripture. Job has come to a point where he stopped asking. He stopped asking for God to come. He started asking for God to go. God, why are you tormenting me? Am I the last person on the face of the earth? Like, taunt me and tease me. Can you, can you go and bother somebody else? Job says, What is man that you should exalt him, that you should set your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning to test him every moment? How long will you not look away from me and let me alone that I might swallow my saliva? Job is saying, I, I don't even have a chance to swallow. The, the, the book of Job in, uh, when, when, when the uh, trials of Job start to come is, is, is absolutely supernatural. The guy's sitting down to eat a meal, I'm imagining, you know, and he's about to put his fork into his salad or into whatever, you know, and as the fork hasn't touched the food yet, somebody runs in and says, there was a great sandstorm and all the donkeys freaked out and they fled. He says, forget the donkeys, we have the camels, right? The fork hasn't hit the food yet. And the next guy comes in and says, Raiders attacked us from the east and they stole away all the camels. He says, forget the camels. At least we have the fields, right? And he's about to put the food in his mouth and he hasn't reached his mouth. And this happens and that happens. And finally, the storm that scared away the donkeys or the camels, or I can't remember what, knocked the house over and all of his seven children died, all in one shot. Job is saying, I, I, 
I didn't even get a chance to breathe. Like, like it's like one blow after another after another. Give me a chance. Give me just a chance to recover. He's saying like, like I know, Lord, you, you test us. But can you, like, am I the last human being on the le- left on the face here? Can you please, can, can you go test somebody else? Isn't that, is there anybody else left in the universe? Can't you go and test them? Sometimes we see God and sometimes we don't. And sometimes our trials and our problems and the things that trouble us overcome us. There's um, a really holy ascetic bishop that I really love. I don't get to see him much. But one time that I met him a long time ago, he said to me, I told him, please pray about this problem. And he said, are you Christian? I said, yes. He goes, oh, because my God doesn't have problems. He only has miracles. He only has miracles. And what you're calling a problem today, you're going to call a a miracle tomorrow. And indeed, the specific thing I was talking about was resolved, but he's really taught me a lesson. In, in, in Arabic, they both start with the letter M. So, you know, he says, like, he says, we don't have mashakil, we have mogzit. You know, so they kind of rhyme, alliteration as it's called, right? Um, but the same is true for us. We, we, don't have, we don't have problems. We have miracles, and God is preparing those miracles. But nonetheless, even if I believe, I believe in the midst of my trials and my tribulations, in the midst of my illness, of my loneliness, of whatever trials I I experience, even when God seems to be the most absent, I still wish to see Him. I still wish to be this man who was born blind and his eyes were opened and he saw Jesus. And Jesus says, no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So Jesus starts to give us the solution, the access. How can I see God? How can I experience God? Jesus says, only the Son can declare him to you. Now I want to ask you something. Jesus says only the Son can declare him to you. A little earlier in Matthew 13 and in the... In the litany of the gospel, it's, it's, it's repeated in, in our prayers. All of our prayers, by the way, are scriptural. They're all little bits and pieces of scripture strung together to make up the text of the liturgy, mostly. Um, so in, in the litany of the gospel, the priest says, in the persona, like we're, we're praying to Christ, they say, O Master Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, Logos of the Father, who said to his saintly disciples and holy apostles, he said to his Jesus, you said to your saintly disciples and holy apostles, Many prophets and righteous men have desired to see and to hear, but they didn't. But you, blessed are you, that your eyes see and your ears hear. Now I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Abraham wanted to see and wanted to hear things that you get to see and you get to hear? You have greater access than Abraham or Moses, or Elijah. I mean, about Moses, for example, in Numbers chapter 12, the people of of Israel, they get fed up with Moses. They say, forget Moses, we're going to get us a new leader. God tells them, get you a new leader? Okay, get yourself a new leader. If you got yourself a new leader, you're going to get yourself a prophet. And if you get yourself a prophet, how will I speak to him? I will speak to him in dreams, 
or in visions, God says, says, my servant with my servant Moses, it is not so, who is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall be beheld. Wherefore then, where were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? He says, if you get yourself a prophet, you're going to get yourself what? Somebody who sees dreams or visions? <laughs> my, my servant Moses, I talk to him. I speak to him mouth to mouth, God says. You know, where are you going to find yourself somebody like Moses? Faithful in all my house. So, Jesus, Father John, the priesthood, you want to tell me that I, who am not very faithful, I try to keep the commandments, but I'm not so good at it. I read the Bible every now and again. I try to make time, but I forget a lot and so on and stuff comes up. I pray intermittently, you know, um, and so on. And you want to tell me that I have access and I can hear and I can see what Moses couldn't, despite how faithful he was, despite how God says about him. And in Jesus say many righteous men and prophets. Moses is the prophet. He's the arch prophet. What, what is it that possibly you and I can have access to, can see, can hear, that, that Moses didn't, Jesus wants to reveal it to us. Jesus wants to reveal it to us. Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies five chapters, gets to the sixth chapter of his prophecy, and the Lord appears before him. God appears before him, and what does he do? He bows his head and he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Hold on, Isaiah. Aren't you the one who just prophesied five chapters? Weren't your lips clean then? He says, no, 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 no. Compared to God, um, woe, woe is me. I am a man of unclean... But Isaiah, didn't you prophesy in chapter 1 about the incarnation and say the, the ox and the donkey know its maker, but you, O Israel, have not known me? Didn't you prophesy about this and about that? For five chapters... All of a sudden now, woe is me. Yes, when I saw him, when I saw him, I said, woe is me. Peter in the boat, when he had the great catch of fish, says, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Two reactions to the abrupt appearance of God always, either repentance or praise or both. How about you? Jesus says about Isaiah and about the appearance to Isaiah in John 12. He says, these things says Isaiah when he saw his glory and spoke of him. And he who sees me has seen him who sent me. Jesus saying, he who sees me has seen him who sent me. Has seen even what Isaiah, even what Isaiah saw. But how? How can we see? How can we see the way they saw? Very simply, very simply, in the Pauline epistle today, in Colossians, St. Paul was telling us how we can live in the life of the new man. Who is this new man? This new man is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This man is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I share something with you I share almost every year during uh, leading up to Christmas about the Incarnation. Think about this. In John chapter 1, it says, The Word became flesh. 
The spoken word of the Father is the second person of the Trinity, the Son. By Him, He makes all things. How did God create the universe? He spoke and there was light. He spoke and there was uh, the, the land gathered together and the seas parted and so on. Every word He speaks is His only begotten Son. The Word became flesh. Jesus was incarnate. Nothing new. I didn't tell you anything you didn't know, right? And when Jesus was in the flesh with us here, what did Jesus do? He taught. He spoke. So flesh became Word once again. Why? That you and I might hear it. What does Jesus say at the end of Matthew 5? He says, a wise man built his house on the rock and the winds came and so on and beat against that house and it didn't fall. A foolish man built his house on the sand. And then Jesus explains, right? What is this wise man? The people who came, who listened, and then who put it into practice, who did it. Jesus is telling us that if we do his commandments. If we come, y'all are here. Okay, there you go. You're one for three. That's good, right? And then if we listen, most of you are awake. It's good, right? You know, there you go. You're two-thirds way through. And all you have left to do then is to do. But Father John, do what? There's a lot of things I can do. Paul tells us, he gives us, you know, some inspiration. He says, put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on tender mercy and kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Gives us some inspiration. Put on love, put on kindness, put on forgiveness, put on meekness, put on long-suffering. The reality is, is that if you and I want to meet Jesus, we will meet him in his commandments. We will meet him when we see him doing his works through us. We will meet him as the word which he spoke, which is written here, becomes incarnate again in you and in me. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.